you have to have a passion for people. Otherwise, you're, you're not going to be very successful because it, it is about that coaching. It is about that mentoring. It is about understanding what motivates other people. And it's also about helping people through tough times in their career and helping them think through and finding answers for you know how they address the challenges that they're, they're experiencing. Welcome to the Rising Leader Podcast, where being a high achiever doesn't necessarily equate to being an effective leader. Let's check to see if you're in the right place. If you're rising through the ranks of your organization so fast that your leadership skills need to grow as fast as your responsibilities, you're in the right place. If it seems you need different skills to lead your team or lead from within a group of talented, competitive peers, you're in the right place. If you're looking to become a trusted advisor to the CEO, you are definitely in the right place. So now that we know that you're in the right place, enjoy today's conversation. Before we begin, I have something for you. Have you not read Only Tens 2.0 yet? If you've been listening to the show, my guess is you have read it. Would you like to give away a copy to someone you care about, someone who's struggling with time and energy management, someone who needs to focus on the important things? Well, if you go to markjsilverman.com, click on the red resource buttons, we have put a free copy of Only Tens 2.0 for you to download, and you can upload it onto your electronic device of choice. I hope you enjoy. So I'm always looking for people who have real life experience, who kind of walk the talk and have done the journey so that we can learn from them, from it being in the trenches. Uh, and my next guest is no exception. I was talking to my friend, Greg Ferguson, who I have lunch with, you know, about twice a year uh, and we catch up and we used to work together. And I said, you know, hey, who do you know who's an executive who has really been successful, but been successful in the right way, who has some scars, has some wisdom to share about moving up through the ranks. How do you lead on a team of other powerful peers? How do you become a trusted advisor in your organization? And he didn't hesitate. He said, Michael D. Robinson, you have to interview Michael Robinson. He is amazing. He's one of my favorite people I've ever worked for. Uh, and I'm like, sight unseen. Don't even know Michael. I want him on the show because if Greg Ferguson says it, then it's it's an agreement. And I, and Greg put in a good word for me with Michael. So that meant he would come <laughs> on my show. So officially Michael D. Robinson is the vice president of healthcare for North America for VMware, a company that I used to work for. He is also managing partner of micro ventures where they help startups in the healthcare sector reach their full potential. He is a tech industry veteran who has driven hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue. He's created billion dollar business divisions and supported scores of sales careers. Like he has that reputation of being the guy when he's in the nursing home someday, they're all going to visit him and thank him <laughs> for their career. He's one of those rare driven executives who's driven as much by relationships and support for others as the monetary results. Uh, Michael, thank you for agreeing to come on the show. Mark, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. This is absolutely one of my favorite to topics. And if Greg asked me to do something, then I can't say no as well. So we have that that same type of relationship with uh, with Greg in terms of uh, doing what he asked us to do. I will say it to the thousands of people who listen to this podcast that when I was working with Greg uh, and we were shuffling territories and we were shuffling accounts and things like that, I said to my boss, if you give me Greg 
Ferguson, as an SE, you can give me whatever goal you want. I do not care because <laughs> I knew whatever, you know, one plus one was going to equal five. Right. Uh, and it was going to be amazing. So it's, it's nice. It's nice, by the way, to have a career like you and I have had and to have people that we've met along the way who are just stellar and sterling human beings. Right. I'm, I'm sure you're you have a whole Rolodex of people you could call any time. Yeah. Greg is a great example of an individual that, you know, makes leadership easy. You know, he's a very open person, open to coaching and and deriving. And it goes to one of my my principles around leadership is, you you know, your, your role as a leader is to develop other people and empower other people. Right. And so that's how you get the multiplier effect in your organization. And not only that, you talk a little bit about legacy, not that I'm trying to build a legacy, but it's really important that you know there are people in your in your tribe or your community that talk about the impact that you've had on their lives i think you know at the end of the day that's what that they talk about the dash on your on your tombstone you know that's what it's really about is the impact that you had um on others while you were here it's it's hard to tell younger folks you know we're both in our 60s and for me the treasure of those relationships that i've built along the way is even more so than I, I thought it would be, you know, just as far as moving around in the world and, and having people who you have that capital with that they're happy to hear from you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you did, did I, I'm not sure. Did you start out wanting to be a leader of organizations? How did, how did you come up through the ranks and decide that, you know, instead of being an individual contributor, you wanted to have success through others? How was yeah. that? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And when I reflect on it, and I've, I've actually talked about this many times in multiple forums, but one of the things that became clear to me was that I, I gravitated towards leadership positions even early. So I'm a, I'm a big sports fan played sports in high school, actually had aspirations of playing professional football. Um, but at five, seven and a buck 40 back then, it, 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 it might've been a little bit of a pipe dream, but, you know, I was motivated and, and tried my best to, to, to make that happen. But, you know, when I look back, there are a couple of um, areas where it was clear that, um, you know, I gravitated toward leadership. And the first was in, in organized sports. The second was in the military. You know, I was able to learn a lot of the leadership principles that I follow today uh, from being in the military. And, you know, there are like multiple segments to my career. The first 15 years, I actually worked for a utility, a public utility uh, in New York, which was New York Telephone at the time. And I started in, you know, a trade role in a, in a, as an individual contributor. And funny story was, you know, I, I worked in Manhattan and I would go to work every day and there was a gentleman there who was the most senior African-American um, at the phone company at the time. He would see me come in every morning. He went to high school with my brother uh, and he would see me come in every morning with my tool bag and, you know, all eager and ready to go to work. And he would say, Michael, you know, there's this thing called data processing. And, uh, you know, I think it, it has a great future. You're an intelligent guy. You would be great in that in that role. And I would say, you know what, Chris, um, you know, that's great, but I'm happy where I am. Uh, you know, I come from very humble beginnings and I was making more money than anybody in my family at the time, you know, uh, in a union job. And uh, it just, you know, being in management at that time was just counter to who I was and, and you know, where I thought my future would be. But he was relentless. And Mark, at, at some point, I said, OK, Chris, I'll take the exam for this thing. And if I pass it, you know, or if I don't pass it, will you leave me alone? He's like, sure. 
but me and my, you know, overachieving, um, you know, kind of DNA, I aced the test and he just became relentless after that. And so that was my first step into, you know, the technical world. I started as a programmer uh, in the late 70s um, and, uh, you know, just gravitated from there. And I found that I was pretty good at what I did. So that was a, a management job, although it was still an individual contributor role. But over time, I just continued to to gravitate towards leading teams. And I found that I had a knack for it. I had a passion for developing other people and making sure that they were successful. How did you know you had a knack for it? What, what did you see in the people that you led that told you you were good at that? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that kind of gave me an idea where people would come to me to seek advice. They're like, you know, Michael, you're you're good at this. How do you approach this? You know, how do you deal with this particular situation? You know, I was able to navigate, you know, we talked a little bit uh, the other day about managing up. You know, I was able to make sure that my team and my work was recognized by senior management and that they understood the value and contributions we were making to the organization. So I think people just saw that um, and would come to me and ask for advice or, you know, how to handle particular situations. And I, I guess uh, in that environment, I became the, the therapist for, you know, a number of those those team members. And it's something that I enjoy doing and I still enjoy it to this day. I also enjoy, you know, helping people see their strengths. And so part of that is to be able to be authentic and honest about, you know, your observations of other team members, whether they be subordinates or peers uh, or even, you know, speaking truth to to management. Um, and so that, again, is I've never been shy. So that's one of the things that I, I enjoy really, uh, really a lot. I'm curious. So so I think a, a lot of leaders, a lot of managers, a lot of people who take these positions really do enjoy pointing out people's gifts and how, where they're doing well. But you said, you know, you were also people's therapists, which right. is as an executive coach, one of the things I hear all the time is why do I have to deal with people's shit? Why do I have to be, deal with people's problems? And I said, and I tell them it's because you took a role in leadership and exactly it's not right. your job. How do you, how do you help people? Cause fighting it is where the angst is accepting it, understanding it's part of your job makes it a much more easy process. How do you help other leaders make that transition? Yeah, I would say, you know, I've been in, in the industry uh, over 40 years and I've been in leadership roles, probably 30 plus uh, in, in varying times. And one of the things that, you know, I, I counsel anyone who's looking at moving from individual uh, contributor to leadership is that you have to have a passion for people. Otherwise, you're, you're not going to be very successful because it, it is about that coaching. It is about that mentoring. It is about understanding what motivates other people. And it's also about helping people through tough times in their career and helping them think through and finding answers for you know, how they address the challenges that they're, they're experiencing. So one of the things I'm most proud of is, you know, I can't tell you, there are probably hundreds of people that, and I would never take credit for anyone's success in their career, but I like to think that I'm an enabler and that I'm helping people find their path and also, you know, just be that sounding board for folks. And so I, I spent 15 years at Microsoft, it's a pretty tough environment in the, in the years that I was there, you know, very, you know, high type A type personalities, you know, very strong expectations from a business perspective. You know, I love Bill Gates and and uh, and Steve Ballmer, but they were, you know, maniacal about understanding your business and how you drive people. And that for some people, 
that was overwhelming. And so you had to figure out, you know, how do you help people navigate that environment where, you know, a lot is expected and, and also, you know, you have to drive results. But I will say that, and I don't have the empirical data for this, Mark, but, you know, I created more GMs at Microsoft in, in my tenure there than a lot of my peers in terms of people that have now gone on to other careers and, you know, been very successful both inside and outside of, of Microsoft. And so that's one of the things I'm, I'm most proud of. Why do you, is that? What, what, what was different about you that helped create other leaders? Yeah. One of the things I think is, is different is, and, and again, I don't, I don't think I'm, you know, extraordinarily unique. Um, but, you know, I have an authentic, uh, presence. And, uh, you know, one of the things I learned early in life, as I mentioned, I grew up in New York, come from very humble beginnings. Um, but my parents were very hardworking people. They weren't educated. Matter of fact, my father did not graduate high school. Um, but they were very much people centric. And one of the things that I learned from my father early on was, um, regardless of where you sit or who a person is, you treat them with respect. You try to get to understand them as people, as a person, and you figure out, you know, where are those intersections? And so I think that authenticity that I bring to the table, open people, and as I mentioned before, you know, help people gravitate to and trust me to give them advice. And it wasn't because I was, you know, a GM or a VP. It was because, you know, I was an authentic person and, you know, uh, was concerned about the issues and challenges that they were facing and also, you know, being a cheerleader for what I think they could potentially be uh, going forward. And, and that was my introduction to really to Greg, because Greg stepped in uh, in an interim role when one of my leaders left to take another role, bigger job, another role at another company. And I asked Greg to step in and be the interim leader uh, for that business. And he was a little hesitant at first because he hadn't had direct sales experience. He was a, a solutions engineering leader and a good technical leader. Uh, but he he somehow felt there was this huge chasm between being a good technical leader and being a sales leader, which I don't believe personally. But I will tell you, he took, we had, uh, you know, almost every other day calls and meetings in that six month period that he was there. And he he just was a fast learner. He gravitated to that. And, and what I, I, you know, I think I helped him see was that, you know, he had a much broader skill set than even he realized as well. And so I think, you know, part of leadership is taking risk and, and taking risk on people. And, uh, you know, you also have to be accountable. There were some, you know, individuals over my career that I've taken a risk on and it just didn't work out. But, you know, I was always forthright and truthful, uh, you know, managed those those challenges in a, in a very humanistic way. And, and making sure that, that you get, you don't always get it right, but I believe you give people the opportunity. What was the hardest part about all that? What's the hardest part that you found in your early journey in leadership? Yeah, for, for me, the hardest part is when people don't live up to their potential. Um, and again, in our prep call, we talked about, you know, diversity of organizations. I'm a firm believer that, you know, that diversity creates momentum and velocity for organizations. And so I try to build as diverse organizations as I possibly can. And, you know, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. I think the hardest thing as a leader is is being accountable and to have to make those course corrections uh, when, when needed. The other thing is that for me and I've experienced in my career is, you know, as a leader, you have to be on the hook and be accountable yourself. 
right? And and so if things go wrong and and you're the you know you're the person that's left standing and is accountable, you have to stand up and take that that accountability. Yeah, uh, the buck the buck definitely stops with you. Right. So as you're as you're moving up, you know, you're not shy. You speak your mind, which is a really valuable asset to an organization. Except you know sometimes your boss or boss's boss doesn't have the uh, the self confidence to listen to people right. uh, speak their speak their mind. How did you navigate that as you went up through the ranks, not being shy about speaking up? Yeah, no, I think that's a great question, Mark. And in some cases it works and in some cases it doesn't. I can recall an instance where um, I was uh, the uh, chief operating officer of a, a multi uh, $100 million plus uh, organization and the CEO and I did not see eye to eye. Uh, this was during uh, the late 90s, um, early 2000s at the dot-com bus. And uh, myself and Another gentleman had pitched a business uh, idea to our parent company, Hitachi Limited, on building this consultancy organization. And, you know, our primary focus was on servicing small financial services organizations and up and coming startups. So right in the middle of the dot com world in terms of that. So we went gangbusters. We built the the organization from like 75 to over 1500 people in a span of six months. The bubble burst. Uh, just after that. And then we had to downsize the company to less than half of where we were during the next six months. And after we did that, I went out and we did an all hands meeting. Uh, at that time, there was no virtual meetings. We, you know, we did it in person. And I got up in front of the team and, you know, explained to them that although it was difficult and, you know, a lot of their friends were no longer in the organization that, you know, we had cut to the bone, we had right size. You know, we're now positioned to move forward and 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 grow the business. And um, like a week later, um, the CEO, who was my boss, you know, called me and says, "Michael, I think we need to cut more." Just as context, his orientation was, you know, more manufacturing. Hitachi was products and big iron and all that good stuff. So that was his orientation, right? My orientation was from a services perspective, where people are our asset. And I said, uh, hey, listen, um, we, we can't cut deeper. And if you do, you're going to disrupt the business. But if that's the decision you've made, then you need to put my name on the top of that list in terms of people that, that you're going to let go. And I just felt for my personal uh, integrity, um, you know, and not impugning that, that 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 was the, the statement. He gladly accepted my resignation because we didn't see it. And and the business did struggle. I, I'm, I'm happy to say, yeah, I'm happy to say today that, you know, they had a mass exodus, but I'm happy to say today that that was the origins of what uh, today is Hitachi Consulting. And so, you know, I'm kind of proud of that. You know, I had a I had a hand in in creating that business, which is a very successful billion dollar plus business today. But Clearly, they had, they brought in new new leadership and new management to right the ship after um, I left and the CEO was fired. But that that was a great example to me of you have to be authentic and you have to be true to your convictions and put your money where your mouth is. Like you totally put your career where your values were, and I think that's why anybody who worked with you probably would walk through fire for you because you walked through fire for them. Right, right, and and it can be you know your the the gist of your question was sometimes those convictions can be career limiting, but I'm 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 a firm believer that you know we we have a bigger 
calling in life than just, you know, profitability of an organization. We all, I think a lot of us think we have a bigger calling in life, having the courage to actually live those convictions, especially, you know, you lost your job right. is, is so impressive. But what would you say? So that happened back then. That was about 20 years ago. What would you say the benefit of having stuck to your guns, taken the consequences and then moving forward? What's the benefit of it, of that to today's Michael? Yeah, there, there, um, there are a couple of things. One is that, uh, again, to your point, I think there are people today that were in that environment today that still believe that that was the right thing to do. And I get I get the benefit of their commitment. I've actually hired some of those people in 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 uh, other organizations. Uh, and so having that loyalty and commitment and understanding, I think, was important. It also, from a personal perspective, gave me the confidence that I can be courageous um, as a leader. And I think that's an important trait as a leader. You have to have the confidence in your ability to be successful, regardless of where you are uh, or regardless of what the situation is. And I think it would have been more detrimental for me to to step away from my core values than it was to to make that hard decision and say that, you know, you need to put me on that list if this is the action you're going to take, because I don't believe that's the right thing. And I've, I've had managers to this day that, uh, you know, give me that feedback. They said, Michael, we always know where you stand. Uh, you always are an advocate for your team, for your customers, you know, for doing what's right for the business. Um, it's one of the things I love about VMware. I know you you worked here before, Mark, but, you know, we have epic values and it's no mistake that execution and passion and in the first three in the customer and community. So this is an organization that that lives up to those values. And I'm, my values are so aligned with that, that, you know, that's why I think this is a great place to work in addition to having great technology. But this is a, this is a great place to work. Yeah, amazing. Talk to me how to be supportive. So I, I talk about the coopetition of being on a leadership team. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, they, you want to be supportive of the people who you're working with, with your peers. You want to be in their corner in every fashion. And you're also ambitious in your own right, with your own ideas, with your own career. Talk about navigating that. Yeah. So, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that I'm a sports fanatic, so competition comes comes easy to me. But I think inside of an organization, competition doesn't necessarily mean you have winners and losers. Um, you know, as as a competitor, I want to be able to set the example. I want to be able to develop best practices that pe- other people can then adopt and 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 be successful as well. And so I think you can be competitive and also be focused on the greater good of the organization as well. I, I there was a great one of the things that I loved at Microsoft when we did. Uh, people development, people evaluation was part of the evaluation criteria is what have you done to help other people in the business outside of your your role or responsibility? So that was something that in every employee review, we had to articulate what that person did to bring broader value to the organization that was not within their scope of responsibility. And I think that when you look at how do you, how does a rising tide rise all boats? That's how I kind of look at competition from a peer group perspective. So obviously, you know, I want to be the shining star in the organization and I want my team to be the shining star. But at the end of the day, we want to make sure that the entire business is is improving. And one of the things here, I, I love the vertical that I work in in healthcare because I think there's such an opportunity to be 
mission get driven and to, you know, do well, but do good as well. Um, but one of the things I think we've experienced here and through the pandemic and some of the challenges that it's created for our customers is, you know, we're kind of leading the company in the direction that our leaders had already stated they wanted to go, but we're getting there in an accelerated manner because of the mission driven nature of our business. Right. And so I think, you know, now the rest of the organization gets to benefit from some of the strategies and things that we did from an execution perspective. And so those are things that, again, I think, you know, they don't have to be winners and losers. You can be competitive. Uh, you can be, you know, trying to be the top of the heap, so to speak, and at the same time benefit the broader organization. That makes sense. It makes it makes perfect sense. So you mentioned something really interesting. You're running an organization within a bigger organization. Absolutely. Uh, your bigger organization has has goals and vision for where they want to take the company. Your organization that you're running, you've decided you're going to influence that culture. How do you get your piece of the business to follow the culture you want to set? Yeah. So again, I I, I think it's easier in the vertical that I'm in because I get to, everyone has a health care story, <laughs> right? You know, we have aging parents, uh, we have children, and, and I love the mission-driven orientation of my team. And one of the things I do during interviews is I, I speak to, uh, you know, any interview that I do for a person coming in the organization, I ask them, what is their why? around the mission of healthcare. And to a person, you know, people have personal stories um, where they struggled or their parents didn't get the, the care that they needed. And so, you know, I think that's an important part of creating that, that mission and then understanding how that aligns with the technology portfolio, services, solutions that we bring to market, how those, those align. And so, it's it's hard, and I've done it twice now in my career, working inside of a horizontal platform company, Microsoft, and now VMware, and built out a vertical. But I believe that the vertical is the key differentiator in our client base around, you know, these individuals, team members, this company understands my business, and they're working to develop solutions. So we sell as hard internally. Part of my role is to make sure that you know, all of our product groups and our marketing teams and our partner organization understand the importance of vertical selling. And then that makes our jobs easier to go to market and to sell vertically. So I love it. Some people say I'm a little bit of, a, you know, a, a little bit crazy to to try and do this twice in, in the horizontal platform company. But I actually love the challenge and the opportunity that it brings. I can I can only imagine imagine you as a startup CEO. Yes, and what you what you could possibly build, but being an entrepreneur is an, is 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 you know. I, I love that too, and as you know, you know, I invest now in in healthcare startups, and so it's important to me and to be able to work with those organizations. I love startup founders. I think you know they're some of the most interesting people on the planet for sure, particularly in the healthcare space. I could talk to you for hours, sir. I'm just uh, so enamored <laughs> with everything that you have to say. One of the things I see is you know we're talking a lot about diversity. And we're talking, you know, you came up as as an African-American in the tech industry when you were probably the only guy in the room quite often. I talked to women who are, who are going up through the ranks, the only one in the room, right? Your sexual orientation. A lot of, a lot of us, if we're not just a cis, white, straight male, as we're moving up through the ranks, 
have some either chip on her shoulder or experience of being the victim of some, what's the word I'm looking for? Oppression. I hate, I hate to use, I hate to use victimy words, but we all have stories. And I'm curious, how did you navigate that? Because I, I, rem- I remember back in the nineties, I was a vice president of sales of an organization and had an inside sales rep who was hands down the best person on my team. Just amazing. He was a black guy. And I'm like, dude, you need to take a territory. Like you're not making the money you could make. You could crush it. And he said, I will not go. I will not do that. And I'm like, why, why not? We can double your income like that. You're amazing. He says, because I can't stand the peop- the look on people's face when I show up to a meeting, when they think I'm white and I show up on black, I just won't do that. And I, I begged that guy, but that hurts so badly to just see that. How did you stay clear, true to yourself, powerful, take those hits and still navigate that and keep yourself intact? I'm sure there were days where it didn't feel like you were keeping yourself intact, but overall. Yeah. And, and I won't sugarcoat it, Mark. There are definitely challenges being an African-American in corporate America. Um, there are a lot of things in my history, in my past that, again, I believe were, you know, systematic things that were designed to, you know, either stop my advancement or, you know, not allow me to advance as quickly as I, I might have liked. And I, I think you can look at it a couple of ways. One, you can look at it and, and be a victim. And two, you could also use that as motivation and fuel to to do better. I, I, you know, I candidly probably have done both. In right. We all, we all have. Right. right? Um, but I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. Um, when I was interviewing to come to VMware, one of the questions I asked is I said, can I speak to the most senior African-American uh, within VMware to understand culture, perspective, uh, et cetera. And I think the recruiter probably thought that was a little weird uh, in terms of my request. And it took a couple of days for him to come back to me and said, you know what, Michael, we want you to speak to Pat Gelsinger, our CEO, about our diversity initiatives. And so I, I can't, I, I came right back at him and I said, so Mike, what you're telling me is that uh, I probably would be the most senior African-American at VMware. Should I, should I join the company? He's like, yes, that, that is true. And you can look at that one of two ways. One is you could say, hey, this is not a very diverse population. They never had an executive, an African-American executive in its 20-year history. But I took, I chose to look at it differently. I said, you know what, this is an environment that I can come to uh, make a difference, demonstrate, you know, that diversity matters. Um, you know, I could bring a unique perspective, you know, my New York African-American perspective to this organization. And that's what I chose, you know, chose to do. You know, subsequently, we now have five Black African-American VPs at VMware. I am no longer the most senior. So, you know, that's that's kind of uh, an interesting phenomenon. But I was I was the first um, to be hired in VMware. And so, uh, again, my advice to people that experience that is you have to understand and assess the culture of the organization that you're in. And candidly, there are some organizations and cultures that are not going to be conducive to growing your career. You have to be able to uh, ascertain that and and figure that out rather quickly. And in some cases, you move on. And in other cases, you you become a contributor um, to the the progress and and the you know the betterment of that organization. So that that's kind of how I look at it. It's inevitable 
again, I grew up in New York, you know, I've been profiled. Uh, I've, I've been, you know, as a teenager, I've been handcuffed, you know, and, you know, for being in the wrong place at, at the wrong time. Um, so, you know, those things are inevitable, but I think it's, it's our responsibility to pay homage to our ancestors and predecessors who sacrificed so much for us to be in the room and that, you know, you can't just quit. So that that's kind of what drives me. I will say one more thing. There's an organization, it's called the Information Technology Senior Management Forum that I found about 23 years ago. The organization is 25, 26 years old, but it's an organization of the most senior African-Americans in IT. Oh, wow. To this day, my both my both my personal best friends and professional best friends are in that organization. And it was in an org- organization where people could share that I'm the only one in the room sentiment and challenges and get raw feedback. So it was a very supportive group. Actually just attended their their gala. The founding member just passed away. So they they were paying dedication to him just last week. And uh, that organization was invaluable to my success and you know understanding how to navigate things, compensation, you know, how do how do you look at you know strategies, board engagement. All of those things that, uh, you know, kind of helped me advance my career. So having that network is important as well. That's essential. Like leadership is lonely, as they say. Right. Uh, and have, no matter who you are, you have to have your posse of people. You have to have people who tell you the truth. You have to have people who are supportive and cheerleaders. You have to have people who have information and expertise that you need. You need exactly. If you're going to do anything, you need your own board of directors. Exactly right. What what makes me think of when you talk about how you navigated all that was your dad and who My he hero. taught you to be, right? Who he taught you to be, uh, no matter what you're dealing with. Uh, really just touches my heart because what you just said was that, you know, you talked about getting arrested and all that stuff, and you just tossed it off as, well, that's inevitable. You know, and that's a gut punch for me to just hear you say that uh, and match that to my own experiences. The fact that you 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 are such a graceful and loving executive is a testament to your to your parents and to what you've done. So thank thank you for that, Mark. And again, I do believe you know it's 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 mind, it's body. You have to take care of yourself and it's soul. You have to have soul as a leader in order to create that environment in your organization. So I I think you know being able to bring your complete self. Uh, like I said, I'm unapologetically a New Yorker. I'm unapologetically black. You know, those things are things I can't change. I will never want to change. So you have to figure out how you make the best and understand and help people understand that that's a good thing, you know, that that I come from a different perspective. So it, it, it certainly is. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you for sharing yourself and your wisdom. Uh, is it OK if people contact you on LinkedIn uh, if we put that in your show notes? Absolutely. And Mark, thank you for your leadership. It's really important to have this dialogue and to have this conversation. I went back and I listened to a couple of your podcasts and I love the diversity uh, in the podcast as well. So I'm I'm now a fan and and a listener. Thank you. I appreciate the work that you do as well. Thank you, Michael. And Greg, uh, if you're listening, thank you for uh, introducing us to everybody else. I really appreciate your time and attention. I hope you learned something. Please let us know if there's something you'd like us to talk about. I love you a ton. Have a great rest of the day. Thank you for joining today's conversation. If you got value, please share the episode, give us a thumbs up, write us a review. And if there's a topic you'd like us to cover or a question that you have, send them my way. Look forward to connecting on the next episode of the Rising Leader Podcast.